Welcome to Voices of Care, the podcast series from New Cross Healthcare that seeks to really get to the heart of the issues facing the health and social care system here in the UK by really getting to pushing the boundaries of how we can truly enable the healthcare workforce of the future. I'm Sahail Mirza, and we're truly at a seminal moment. The NHS is in the press, it's facing huge backlogs, and according to some, social care is facing an existential crisis. It's therefore vital to hear from people who have the wisdom and experience to shed light on these issues. And I'm delighted and honoured to welcome my guest today, Sir David Nicholson, a former Chief Executive of the NHS in England and currently Chair at Sandwell and West Birmingham Hospital's NHS Trust and most recently appointed as Chair to Dudley Group NHS Foundation Trust. David, always a pleasure to meet you and uh, thank you for giving us your time today. Happy to be here. It's, um, I'm going to go straight into it. The NHS is never out of the news. Um, and I'm going to tackle the workforce challenges. We have uh, a new health secretary who's uh, made uh, the shortages a key issue as part of her ABCD uh, commitment. But there is no doubt the shortages are now to a point where some people, Jeremy Hunt, for example, has claimed that it's the greatest workforce crisis in the history of the NHS and social care. Uh, you have a wealth of experience going back, dare I say, the best part of five decades. Is that right? And what is the extent of the challenge? Thanks. Yeah, I, I think it is. Um, I wasn't around in 1948 when the NHS was set up, and I'm sure post-war there were challenges. But I think certainly in my experience, this is the greatest set of challenges we've seen. And a number of things have come together, I think, to make it particularly difficult. The first and most obvious one is for the last 12 years, we've had the lowest rate of growth in health expenditure since the inception of the NHS. And that has a consequence. Um, we've had Brexit with the consequences in terms of the supply, in terms of workforce, certainly as far as the NHS is concerned. Um, and we've also had um, some really big issues around backlogs and uh, COVID, which have made working in the NHS much more difficult. If you add those things together, I think we have got a serious problem. And the, the extent of the shortages, um, the Health and Social Care Select Committee in the summer of this year reported vacancies at over 110,000. It's not a new issue. This is not a COVID issue. This, these vacancies were here before that. It's been coming for some for some time. And I think the disappointing aspect of this is the the lack of response over a number of years, predominantly from government, to put this thing right. One of the dilemmas we have in the NHS is to train our professional workforce in particular. It takes time and planning an organisation. I remember um, in 1997 with the, uh, with the, the uh, bringing together the new Labour government and then 2001, the NHS plan. There was a 10-year plan to improve the workforce. We And that's what it takes. It takes a big set of effort, time and resources to enable it to happen. And we haven't seen that over the last 12 years. And I think that's a really disappointing thing. I understand to an extent, if you're faced with austerity, why you wouldn't, wouldn't do that. But part of the issue, really, is the way we do business in the NHS and in, in the civil service. Looking at three to five year time horizon through spending reviews simply won't deliver the kind of workforce that we need in the NHS. No, uh, candidate as ever, I'll, I'll return to that issue if I may. Um, I want to place it in a broader context. We, we have this issue across 
social care across the NHS, the projection showing that uh, the NHS needs 470,000 new people over the next decade, 490,000 in social care. It's part of a global issue. I know that you've experience uh, around the world with different healthcare systems, uh, we're not alone in facing uh, this uh, shortage of clinicians. No, everywhere you go, and I, over the last sort of eight years or so, I've worked in about 20 different countries, helping uh, predominantly um, uh, developing countries to enable their healthcare system to, de- to, to be developed. And everyone's facing it. I mean, the, the numbers become enormous when you look at places like China and India about the scale of the workforce they will require in the, in the future. So everywhere around the world, people are facing this, these sets of issues. And the interesting thing, I think, is it the response to it. In the sense that um, if you look in the 1980s, the healthcare policy argument was that competition drove quality and drove efficiency. And so most healthcare systems developed in a competitive way, um, supported by the World Bank and, uh, and others. Um, in the last 10 years or so, it's become very clear that actually it's integration, it's cooperation, it's working together to improve outcomes which will get the real benefits for healthcare and will be more efficient. And so all around the world, governments are looking at how they can create more integration in their healthcare systems, whether it's in this country uh, with integrated care systems, I'm sure we'll talk about that in a while, but also in places in the Middle East where they're looking at what they call clustering, in places like India where they're trying to get whole population budgets given to uh, acute care providers, all around the world, people are looking at way in which you can get integration to improve efficiency. No, it's, it's absolutely mm. so. It's a key. There's been quite a, a big change there. And you mentioned integrated care systems. We've had since July on a statutory footing that uh, introduction to the NHS landscape. Now, uh, you've been in the NHS for a long while. I think uh, you began your career as a chief executive um, back in Doncaster with the first wave of uh, NHS trusts at a time when uh, Margaret Thatcher was Prime Minister and Brian Clough was still manager of uh, Nottingham Forest, if, if, I, if I'm if i correct in my uh, recollection. Yeah. So you've seen lots of reforms. Good and bad days. Good, good indeed, indeed. So you've seen a lot of reforms, mm. plans. D- the rhetoric around the ICS is is highly encouraging, it's expansive, it talks about social care, voluntary organisations, community-based led care. Switching to workforce, are you? it's nascent, of course. Do you see this as perhaps a watershed where we might truly move the philosophical framework from competition to collaboration, and that might be a systems-led approach to workforce challenges? I think you can see... I'll describe green shoots, if that's the uh, the appropriate way of doing that. It's very it's very interesting. So um, the accent away from individual organisations competing together, um, basically for resources. Um, we've mo- we're moving away from that, and the integrated care systems have worked really hard and really well at bringing organisations together. So where I work in the black country in particular, the history of competing organisations, I think we're getting over that. Mm. However, where competition is still there and still very strong and a real challenge for us in the ICS to deal with is for staff. So competition is moving away from uh, uh, trying to get more patients or trying to get more work in to deliver 
more care, it's actually now moving towards, uh, or is act, we're actually in the, in the heart of competition over staff. And that's quite a, well, if I was going to say paradox, it's probably a contradiction uh, at the centre of this. And I want to return to your picture around uh, 2001 and having longer term plans. Health Education England in its draft workforce strategy in 2017, uh, Chief Executive of the King's Fund, they both bemoan the fact that we haven't had, according to them, a workforce strategy since 2003. So we're nearly at a 20-year anniversary. So we're being promised a workforce plan or strategy. How confident are you of that happening and what must it include? Surely some planning around the numbers that we will need. Well, I think, I don't want to be too harsh about all of this, but we've not got a great record of workforce planning in the NHS, not because we are innately useless or can't do it. Actually, it's a very hard thing to do. And in fact, the Soviet Union collapsed attempting to do this. The idea that you can, you know, meticulously plan a workforce against a future of 10 years hence and be absolutely clear about how many gynecologists you want, how many, you know, is, is, not, is not appropriate. What mm. we have needed is a strategy. Yep. And the problem with the planning, which makes it particularly difficult, is that whilst the NHS has had money in the last two or three years to fund training so we can train them, they've not been able to deploy the money because the Treasury have not signed up to the total numbers coming out of the scheme at the end. So you're in this sort of no-win situation, and that's the part of the problem. The issue for me, to be honest, is whatever we do, it's never going to quite do it. And if we're waiting for a cavalry to come over the hill... We're going to be waiting a long time. We're going to have to, as organisations, as a system, really rethink what we're doing and deal with those things that we have control over. I, uh, whilst I don't quote Lenin a lot, you know, Lenin said, you know, you start from where you are, not where you want to be or think you should be. And that's part of the dilemma of where people are having difficulty getting over isn't it all terrible? We've got 100,000 vacancies. We need a plan. Getting over that and saying, OK, so what can we actually do? And that's, I think, what I'm interested in. That's what our, the NHS and social care has to be interested in. No, no, absolutely. And moving on to that, if I may, uh, I'd like to uh, look at the, the work of the trusts that you chair and see what they are doing. I'll begin, if I may, with the other issue which perhaps is as ubiquitous as the shortages, and that's the, the well-being and... Um, mental health of the NHS workforce in particular, social care too. Um, but again, the Health and Social Care Select Committee reported in the summer of 2021 that burnout was at an emergency level. If we just take one cohort, doctors, a GMC training survey published in uh, the summer of this year found that two thirds, two thirds of medical trainees reported moderate or high levels of burnout. Um, so it's a huge issue. Now, I know that uh, Sandra on the West uh, Birmingham's trust strategy for the next five years focuses uh, on changing that, making workforce um, and its well-being very, very important. Perhaps you can shed some light on some of the work that it has already done to help its workforce in yeah. this regard. Uh, what I would say about all of all of that is that both the trust, in fact, the trust that I know about in the Black Country and, and beyond, people are seriously trying to 
get hold of all of this stuff because the sorts of uh, statistics that you said there are plain for everyone everyone to see and i'm sure we'll get on to sort of leadership and yep. culture and all that in a while yep. but that is such an important set of issues and we'll, but why would we bother with a strategy at one point you know in, in a sense and what the thing about a strategy both for both organizations is that it gives you a sense of direction so we can so we can talk to the staff about what we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it to, in a sense to build them into the solution that we're trying to trying to get to which i know sounds obvious but actually we've not really done very well and just a, the, the issue for, for me which i think is significant although you may not believe it to be so what's tended to happen in nhs strategy is that workforce is seen as an enabler not in an end in itself and in both of the strategies both for dudley and for samwell and west birmingham the people thing Mm. is actually front and center of what we're trying to what trying to do i think it's a it's a hangover from all of those you know those sort of private sectory things that people said you can't be provider dominated you know you can't actually you know i think we lost something in all of that conversation so making the people in the, in in our organizations in particular so in samuel and west birmingham it's patients people and population uh, but pe- getting people center to it is very important and you know but both in dudley and in in samwell you know the simple idea around a kind of hierarchy of needs mm. is an important part of it. But if you think, I mean, we learned some very good lessons, uh, all sorts of lessons in COVID. But one of them was about well-being and, and Absolutely. all the rest of it. And we've spent a lot of time in both organisations. They have a, in Samwell, there's a big centre that people can go to, but increasingly we're moving services out to wards and, and departments. Um, you know, you can get everything from, you know, hypnotherapy, yoga, all of those sorts of things uh, we we do now as a standard, something we would never have done in the, in the past. In fact, lots of people would have criticised us for spending resources. But all those things are important, not only for the people that use them, but also for people to know that they are they are there. It's easy, I think, for people to be um, slightly cynical about this this sort of stuff. And, and sometimes even I think, we're doing what? Uh, but nevertheless, I think being demand-led from our staff and creating space for people to do things, I think, is really is really important. But also, there's an there's an emphasis now on you know, can I park my car? Can I can I have a break? If I have a break, is there somewhere where I can have a cup of tea? On you know, in in reasonable circumstances. All of those things, can I get hot food out of house? You know, all of those things, although you might say they are obvious, in lots of ways there's not been the focus and attention on them. In the past, so in both of those organisations, we put a lot of emphasis in, you know, the building and changing that needs to be required and the facilities that are required for people. We're not there by a, by a long shot, but I think we are making a good direction. And people can see that. That's something concrete that people can see. And it's important about building that relationship between the organization the people no no thank you for shedding light as you said the simple things can easily be overlooked Mm. but i think philosophically it's making as you said the workforce a strategic objective in of itself which i think is very important 
I'd like to just um, segue a little bit about how um, the trusts themselves are tackling their own shortages, just, just briefly, and, and touch upon uh, a key lever um, in national strategy to deal with shortages, which is the use of international recruitment. This was a, <clears throat> a step change that the long-term plan in 2019 said should be done. Uh, a task force was set up by the preceding health secretary in the summer uh, this year. Uh, and just looking at the Dudley group, uh, the chief nurses report um, at a board meeting in the summer, uh, it was interesting to see that the international recruitment effort there has, has yielded very good results. I think 16 new recruits since April. So clearly a, a part of the solution, not the whole solution, but clearly a part and, and working well. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, there is a question about wh about whether it's basically putting things off or whatever. But in the short to medium term, it's absolutely vital. Neither organisation that I'm responsible for could deliver the kind of care we want to without the influx of international staff, both nurses but also uh, midwives and increasingly allied health professionals. Now, this is very tricky territory for the NHS overall because there are some ethical issues. Yep around around all of this that we need to be mindful of and uh, most of the um, most of the international nurses are also conscious of this as they as, as they come over but as you know certainly in the Indian subcontinent uh, there's a massive overproduction of nurses at the moment they are really going for it it was interesting I was in a uh, I was in Karachi and uh, they were telling me about their their, their twin exports. Uh, one was uh, nurses that they were uh, training, and the other one was plumbers. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, they've seen an opportunity. So it's not all one way, but I do accept there are ethical issues on that. Uh, but yes, they've uh, predominantly in um, in Sandwell, they've gone to the Indian subcontinent. In Dudley, it's predominantly Africa, Nigeria in particular. And I have to say, they are unbelievable people i mean absolutely remarkable i was with a group of nigerians and they you know they've come over to do this work they've they've come over pretty hard-headedly in the sense that they want to improve their clinical skills and they think working in this system will enable them to do that and it will undoubtedly will invest in them while they're while, while, while they're here, but the courage that they're showing to leave their some of their, their families and their friends and all the rest of it to come over and into a you know, I don't know what it's what Dudley looks like from Lagos, but um, <laughs> you know, they they did they know very little about the local the local community, um, so they've come over and they're doing a phenomenal job, I think, for us both in Sandwell and uh, and West 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 Birmingham. But in order for it to work, you need to look after them, and you know, we've got extensive programs to bring them over. There are private sector organisations who help us help us do that but we provide accommodation for the first uh, two or three months you know we provide pastor pastoral support training education skills improvement all of those we do invest quite heavily in it and uh, 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 certainly uh, in one organization I was associated with who've been doing it a bit longer after two years I think 98 percent of the nurses were still there that's a remarkable so system. you know it 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 had it, it, it had worked for people, but it's it's a godsend. I mean, we literally couldn't deliver our services without. No, and I think it's right to celebrate um, uh, that lever. It's not a long term solution, no. but th that's a fabulous uh, success story. I'd like to uh, move on to the final part uh, of our discussion to look at the bigger picture around culture, 
leadership, training and development and, and the broader determinants uh, of health. But beginning with um, really the worrying statistics that have come out um, from the latest workforce data that showed a record number of people voluntarily leaving uh, in the first quarter of the last financial year, the record number over the last decade. So th there's clearly a retention issue. The NHS people plan, the people promise, this is at the centre of everything. And I think culture, you've alluded to how important that is. Sandwell and West Birmingham strategy focuses on the idea of promoting meaning and choice. And that's going to require some innovative and visionary leadership and just how important is that in terms of the culture well the reality although you know we bleat and complain about what the government hasn't done and all the rest of it most of the levers that we will need to improve our overall position are in our own our, in, in our own hands and uh, you know recruitment and retention the way we support and help our people, the way we train, educate them, all of those things are a critical part of it. And increasingly, the way we rethink roles mm. in order to make sure that the workforce that we've got is suitable for 21st century healthcare. So all of that is really, is really important. And underlying that is a leadership culture that we require. I think in the, in the, in the jargon, it's talk, it's, it's, it's called compassionate and uh, inclusive. And uh, the compassion is obvious. You know, we don't just want empathy. You know, I, I spend quite a bit of time walking, talking to staff. And when you say to them, what are your, what are the issues? You know, they generally speaking, their number one issue is staffing. Mm. You know, they say that. And it's often not they haven't got enough. It's they haven't got enough at particular times of the day because the rotaring isn't working, because they're not flexible enough in the way in which they operate. And, you know, a simple thing and I assess anyone who, who, who runs, who's responsible for hospitals should think about this, is that how long it takes from someone giving their notice to replacing somebody in that job. You'll be amazed how long that takes sometimes, six months in some organisations. You know, in, in, in which time you've got a vacancy, you've got, you've got um, uh, a staffing... Um, uh, bank staff or agency staff coming in to fill it. You're, you're adding to your expenses, but you're providing a really poor relationship. And the other thing I, I say is that, on average, the two organisations I'm responsible for turn over about 10% of their staff every year. And the vast majority of that 10% go and work somewhere else in the black country. <laughs> they go and work in the hospital next door. Right. You know, which I, you know, I, if there's another hospital that's providing more flexibility or promotion or whatever, that's a choice. That's the thing about choice. That's, that's absolutely, absolutely fine. But just the, the cost to the system of people resigning and then being, it's, it's, it's absolutely enormous. And so in a system-wide thinking, how you can give people passports, how you can all make all that work far better is an important thing that we can practically, we can practically do. Um, but unless we get a hold of the way in which we support our workforce, we're never going to we're never going to recruit, we're never going to train enough people if they're, move, if, they're, if they're moving out. No, and I think you're right in the sense that there is a systems opportunity here. And I think part of the retention, the argument from many is that the learning and development, the career pathway, flexibility, uh, and New Cross's mission is to be a learning partner for life uh, for people in care, offering um, those development and training opportunities free at the point of access. So 
touch upon briefly the learning and development career opportunities and how important that is for retention. I think, I mean, it, it is important. It is undoubtedly important for, uh, for, for retention, making sure that we get all of that in place. That's right. But what, what, And one of the things I, I say is that um, we need to reintroduce ourselves to our own workforce because sometimes we think we understand what they want and how they want it to be delivered, but sometimes we, I think we get it completely wrong. Mm. So getting connected with that to make sure that the learning development opportunities are the ones that actually add value both for them and for our for our, for our patients. But also we need to reintroduce ourselves to our local communities mm. because... Um, if you look, if you if you look at, I mean, in the Black Country, quite a lot of people work and live locally. But there are lots, particularly of young people, now who don't work for the NHS, who never thought about working for NHS or social care, who just don't see it as part of their of their of, of their future. And we need to reintroduce ourselves to them, not selling what we've already got, but actually building things around what they actually need. I'll, I'll give you a very small, small, small example. At Sandwell, um, uh, we've done some work with homeless people, homeless young people. There are thousands of homeless young people in Samwell. It's that part of the West Midlands that covers Smethwick and, and, yep. and, and, and all the rest of it. And we're building a brand new hospital in the centre. It's a fabulous thing that we're, that we're, we're, we're building there. And we've worked with Basil, St Basil's Charity and we've recruited 30 apprentices amongst homeless people and we're providing them with accommodation as well as work. So 30 people who would never have dreamt of being involved can come in at entry level. That could be as a healthcare assistant, it could be as a, uh, as a porter or something like that. And we have an escalation programme to take them through an apprenticeship, to take them through if they want to professional qualifications at the end of it. That seems to me absolutely central to what we need, we need to do. Um, and this is an incredibly successful uh, way of working and engages us with the community in a way that we we haven't. We're building a new, as I a new hospital in Smethwick. The board recently had a a meeting with the uh, community leaders in Lazelles. Um, uh, which is a very sort of deprived part of our population, but a very vibrant one with you know really strong uh, population. Again, a whole load of people who didn't see social care as the NHS as, so, as a, a career choice. Again, thinking about how we connect with that community, how we uh, talk to community leaders, how we get people engaged has been enormously fruitful in order to get people to come forward to come and work for us. So as an employer... There's a lot we can do. To, and all that does, of course, it massively, as we know, on, on any health uh, measure that you want to take, employment, meaningful employment, makes a massive difference to the health and well-being of people. So we're doing two brilliant things, really. In that. So it's very much a, uh, it's almost a apotheosis of uh, being an anchor institution in the local community and turning the dial on the determinants of health it is and and it's it's creating a connection with the local community and the nhs organizations which everyone benefits from i think that's a, a, an inspiring place uh, for us to stop our conversation it's always a pleasure to share time with you i'd like to thank you sir david nicholson for your wisdom uh, and your wit thank you if you've enjoyed this episode of voices of care 
please like, subscribe or follow wherever you receive your podcast series. And if you want to find out more information about how we're truly enabling the healthcare workforce of the future, please visit newcrosshealthcare.com forward slash voices of care. In the meantime, I'm Sahail Mirza. Goodbye and thank you.